Welcome to Lighthouse Chapel International, Columbus, Ohio. We invite you to discover the life-changing anointed word of God as you listen to this message by Reverend Gilbert Asamoah. Reverend Gilbert Asamoah is a well-seasoned minister who serves as the General Overseer of the Raccoon Diocese in Lighthouse Chapel International, USA. Founded by Bishop Dag Heward Mills with over 1,800 branches worldwide. Join us for a life-changing experience as you listen to this message. Thank you that our lives have not been thrown over as a chance life. Whatever anything at all the enemy wants to do, he can do. You have not allowed it so. We believe that your holy angels are bearing us up. We believe that your great arms are protecting us. And now we come to you desiring that your Holy Spirit will come and be our teacher and be our instructor. We are calling on you in the name of Jesus. Open our eyes and open our hearts. May the entrance of your word bring light in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Beautiful. We thank God. We are going to continue on our journey of faith. Amen. Faith secrets. And the subtopic, the topic is your faith is your life. Your faith is your life. Bishop explains that the life that we see out there, the, the life that people see you living, is emanating or springing forth from the faith that is operating within you. And so if you if you would like to know what type of faith you have, it will be shown in your outward physical life, how you lead your life. Because faith is spiritual and only God can see the heart. But your faith will drive you to live your life a certain way, to have certain goals, to have certain pursuits. The thing you believe in so strongly will push you to live a certain way and will have a certain pursuits. And so as we discuss faith is your life, your faith is your life, a need for us to uh, believe it. You can look at it two ways. You can look at it, okay, there is a life I want to live. There's a, a life I imagine for myself, but I am not seeing that life come to pass in my life or I am not experiencing it. So if your faith is your life, if your faith becomes your life, and you see a disconnect between a certain life you imagine for yourself or you wish for yourself, then the deficit or the, the um, difference and the way to approach it is you need to develop faith in that area of life that you think you may be lacking or you think your life is not coming out the way. You need to find out what does the word of God say so that you can develop faith in that arena. The Bible says faith comes by hearing. So the challenge for us is that we have to live by God's standard and not by our own standard. Now our own standard will make us make excuses for why certain things are not happening or make excuses and always find someone to blame. 
But I think what this chapter is not allowing us to do. Bishop said, what you do with your life reveals what you really believe in. Hallelujah. Amen. Your whole life is an expression of your faith in God. And so, um, I remember my uh, A-levels economics teacher. He talked about, he says in economics, we established what we call the ideal water economic model. And from that, we compare the water real world situation so that we can know the water deviations. Do you see? <laughs> so so, so these, are, these, are, these are impressions. There are some teachers who make um, a lasting that, impression. That water, that water sounds like a teacher I know how to put water. Ah, okay. Okay, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. So, 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 you know, you have these impressions. And, and the thing that impressed me, you know, is, it's like there is the, you need to have a standard. You need to have a measure. You need to have something that uh, becomes what you are seeking and becoming. If there is no standard, if there is no measure, uh, like in this statement, he said that the ideal economic model, and then you compare what the real world situation, then we note the deviations. Now, now we need to go back to the scriptures and we need to, now we say your faith is your life. What is faith? And then now let's look at this scripture in Galatians chapter two and verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So the life I now live, the life that uh, people see me living, that's what Paul is saying, that the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Which gave which, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. Now, if you were to go back to Habakkuk, Habakkuk said, Behold, he saw his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. So the question that arises, Habakkuk is saying the just, the believer. The righteous one shall live by his faith. Hallelujah. Amen. It means that it is not somebody else's faith, but that the scripture is talking about, but the faith of the person we are talking about. So, so one letter, the apostle says that the life I live now, I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Galatians 2.20 says, I am dead. But the life I live now, I live by the faith of Christ. So that there is the indwelling life of Christ within me. That is what I spring forth. The springing forth of my life is coming from the deep, deep, deep within the life of Christ within me. That is the springing forth of my life. So now if you compare Habakkuk and Galatians 2.20, in Habakkuk says that you shall, your 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 you, 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 you are a just person, you are a righteous person, you shall live by your faith. But Paul is saying, the life I live now, it is by the faith of Christ. So then, so then, the question is, what is the journey 
What is the journey from my faith to the faith of Christ? Because Galatians, I mean, Habakkuk seems to put the emphasis on your faith. And, and there seems to be a bit of pressure there, you know. Like a friend of mine, my former co-worker, he used to say, um, like if he's waiting on you, if he's waiting on you to, maybe he's waiting in the car, you're about to go somewhere or we're about to go to lunch. And he, there were three of us, we always used to go to lunch together. Myself, him, uh, and then a lady. And if someone is delaying, then he will say, he will say, he will say, um, no, no, no. he said, no, no hurry. He said, don't worry, but hurry up. It's like it's like it's a, it's a no it's a no pressure but hurry up <laughs> no pressure but hurry up so so he's saying one thing but he's saying another thing you know now there's a bit of pressure when you say you 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 just shall live by his faith but the the anxiety the stress the the um the the, the perceived weakness that comes upon us is because when we speak of our faith, which is what we are supposed to live by, that our faith is not a single our faith. Because when you become a Christian, you are joined to Christ in the spirit. So that it's no more a pressure on you to have a faith, but it is a cooperation between you and Christ that the life of Christ in you, that the, the invitation to God, an invitation to the life of the spirit that we speak about becomes not so much just that you are striving to have faith. Yes, but in the end, you place your faith in Christ, the one that you believe comes to live in you, you place your faith in him and his faith and your faith is together. So now once you are in Christ, it's no more I and I, it is we, it is you and Christ. So that takes a little bit of the pressure, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. But I think I think the, the um, tragedy of the hour is that we have not given enough time to, to, to meditate and reflect on the spiritual reality of who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. Hallelujah. Amen. So that, so that our faith, that Paul says that the life I live now, I live by the, uh, the faith of the Son of God, Christ. It is more a question of a mental asset. Like we, we think of it in our head, but we have, not medita- we have not thought deeply about it for it to sink so that it becomes a reality. It is more like an intellectual exercise. My dear friend, the Christian experience and the outworking of our faith in God is not a mere mental exercise. If it was an intellectual exercise, then only the so-called smart people and high IQ people can be believers. No, but my grandma and your grandma out there, they may have more faith than the so-called theologian who can exegize the word of God, but it is all an intellectual exercise. The invitation you and I have been called to is now to spend time, last week I spoke about taking time to reflect taking time to reflect on our lives and to reflect on the, the, the spiritual principles that we've been hearing and making it, making it a challenge to yourself, making it a challenge to yourself that these things that I read about in the Bible, I want to experience it. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. And, so, and so that is the vision. 
that we need to have visions out of the word of God. Now, whatever your mind imagines, if it is steeped in the promises of God and it is steeped in the faith journey, it can become a reality for you because it is no longer I. It is you and Christ. Your life is no more is no more just you. Don't ever have a mind. Don't ever have a mind that, that this thing is like this big pressure that has come upon you as a Christian and that you are striving. No, we need to tap into the indwelling life of Christ. The reality of it is that Christ has come to live in you. You know, do you realize that we tend to, we tend to love, we, we tend to find it easier to believe that, that we are a fallen creature or a fallen uh, uh, creation. We tend to, we tend to, um, have you heard the expression to err is human? Yes. Forgive is divine. To forgive is divine. Yeah. Do you get it? So that statement is an exclusivist type of statement. So it's like, it's like, it's like a, 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 a dichotomy. It's like a, a dividing something that to err is human. So, I mean, you know, when you, last time you checked, you are human, you know? Like my friend who saw me off at the airport when I was coming to America, my friend Yao, you know, he, he pulled his uh, sleeve like this. Then he did this. He said, when you go, I'm telling you, the flesh, the flesh. You're going to drink, you're going to drink a lot of fresh milk. And this, this skin is going to become... <laughs> So, 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 but, 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 the, but the reality, the reality is that the reality is that you are not just flesh. Do you get it? Yeah. Bishop said on the day that Prince Diana died, he was, uh, I think he was, I, I traveled, I think outside the country, he was in a hotel somewhere and he was in the lobby. And you know how the whole news cycle was captured by mm. the, the, the person of Princess Diana. And he said, everybody was sad. I mean, you didn't have to be a, a person who is a fan of the royal family or whatever. It was yeah. such sad news. I remember that they had come from my uh, from a, a wedding, uh, a wedding of this um, uh, American friend of mine who you say who, who used to say, "Don't worry, uh, 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 no pressure, hurry up." No, I had come yeah. from his wedding, and Princess Nana had that. And Bishop said, whilst he was waiting in the lobby, there was this. Uh, uh, white man who also was sitting there, they were all watching the TV, and everybody was quiet. And then, and then the man, you know, broke the silence, and the man said, "You know, I just wonder whether we are all just a piece of meat, because that is the thought. It's like it's like she has been reduced to a piece of meat." Right. And Bishop then said, "I I I I, I used the opportunity to say that." We are more than a piece of meat. Do you get it? Because you have a spiritual path. And so, and so the, the journey of faith to which you and I have been called on, you know, when they were these flow prayer meetings, Bishop talked about this at the flow revival. And something was something was kindled in me. That is why I started this whole series. Because he said that the faith life, we have not yet, we have not yet tapped into it enough. And so what I'm telling you, I'm telling myself that there is a journey to be on. There is a river to be crossed. There is a life to participate in. And this life of Christ within, we need 
to find our way back to be in touch. Because the, the, the tragedy of the hour is that we find it easier to believe in our fallen nature than the invitation by God through Christ to participate in his divine nature. So we excuse, we make excuses for ourselves in saying to err is uh, human and to forgive is divine. When the same scripture, actually this, by the way, did you know it's not a verse in the Bible? <laughs> it, but you may think it's a verse. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not a verse. There are a lot of wise sayings that, that are like a verse, like everyone, uh, uh, what do you call, everyone for himself and God for us all. Oh, that one too, you may think it's a verse, but it's not a verse. Do you get it? Yeah. And there's a, the, the, there's a verse in the Bible that says that we have been invited to become partakers of the divine nature. So yes, to us is human, but you are not just human. God has given you an, an invitation to partake of the divine nature. That doesn't mean that you are God, but that God is so generous, he's sharing his nature with us. How is he sharing it? He's sharing it by having the, the spirit of his son come to live in us. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, somebody said, well, I don't feel any different. I only feel the, the, the effect of the milk. Well, <laughs> how, do you, how, do you tap, how do you tap into the spiritual life within? By faith. Amen. By faith. You don't have to go, you don't have to go, you don't have to go um, out somewhere to go and reach out for God. The Bible said God lives in us. How do you, how do you know? How do, it is by faith. Hallelujah. Amen. If Amen. you can believe that you are human, you can believe that because of Adam, we have all sinned. Then, then what, the, the, the next step is to flip it. Because now let's look at a series of verses, right? A series of our, what I call our godly heritage. Okay. Let's look at our godly heritage. Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. Because now we are talking about the life of Christ within. Your life should not be seen outside of the life of Christ. If you can just forget everything, but you just remember that the life of Christ is to become a spring of life coming from within you. And you, may, you major on that, that Christ is the root out of which you spring forth. Jesus said, I am the tree, you are the branches. If you can just remember that every day you draw from this life of Christ within, I can guarantee you, even your skin will begin to shine without drinking fresh milk, I'm telling you. <laughs> because the life of Christ within will begin to permeate through the pores of your skin. The life of Christ within you will begin to manifest in the outer life, in, the, in your soul and even on your body. But we have measured so much on the spiritual, on the physical life to the neglect of the spiritual life. But that is a reality that is still not too late, my dear friend. It is still not too late to become spiritual because to be, to be a faith person is to be a spiritual person. Romans chapter 5, and let's start from verse number 12. Somebody said, well, you know, I, uh, I, I don't find myself adequate. You know, I, I try everything that I, I, I can, but I end up always slipping. You see, sometimes you are traveling too hard. You are striving too hard. You need to call upon the life of Christ within. And you need to do that constantly. 
Wherefore, as by one man, okay, here in this passage, the apostle is talking always the before and after, the before and after, the before and after. Some people continue to live in the before life. They continue to major in the before life. They continue, they, they slept and they never woke up. No. He says, when the apostle says in Galatians 2.20, when he said that I am crucified with Christ, it doesn't end there. He said, nevertheless, I live. How do I live? He, he said, yet not I. The life that I live now, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here he says, just as by one man sin entered into the world. Whoa. Who is that man through whom sin entered into the world? Adam. 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 So just as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Everybody finds it so easy to accept this. Then he said, unto the Lord, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Okay, go to 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even over them that have not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So this verse is saying, uh, before Moses came to give the law, sin was already in operation. Do you get it? And death has reigned from Adam through the, the fall of Adam to everyone that descended from Adam. Okay, verse 15. Okay, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. So you see, the passage is developing what you call a thesis, a sequence of thoughts that sin and death have come from one man. But the story does not end there. Hallelujah. You see, this story is not like the story that my sister Julie used to tell when she was little. I told you some time ago, my sister Julie, when she was little, about six years or so, whenever she's telling a story, and the story will keep going on and on and on, it never ends. Mm. And so people were getting tired. When is the story going to end? So people will say, okay, so what happened? And then what happened? So finally she found, she found a, a good ending to all of her stories. <laughs> you remember what the good ending was? <laughs> the good ending was, and a lion swallowed, <laughs> a lion ate him up, and a lion ate her up. So all her story ended up becoming horror, tragedy stories. Do <laughs> you get it? <laughs> you see, I, I, I mean, I don't like I, I don't like horror movies. I don't like I don't like a movie that the bad guys win. And I don't like a movie where it ends with a tragedy. I like a, a good a, a good ending. And the good ending to the life of the descendants of Adam is that even though we began by the offense of Adam, which we all inherited, he said there is something called the free gift. Amen. If through, for if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more, much more, the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. So the offense, the sin, the transgression has led to many people dying, many people missing out on the life of God. There is an alternate life, my dear friend, that God has invited us to. That alternate life comes by believing that those who have placed their faith in Christ, there is something called the gift. There's something called the gift by grace. There's something called abandoning unto many. 
this is what I meant when I said that we have not tapped into the life of Christ within. We have believed in it in our head. And so the story of the story has been always ending with the lion eating the person up. No, it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> we need to proceed to the rest of the story. That it didn't end with Adam, the first Adam. Go to the next verse. And not as it was by one, that's saying, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. It's drawing the contrast here. Adam's one sin led to the condemnation of everyone. But the one righteous person, his, his righteousness has been multiplied to as many as we believe. For if by one man's offense, or one man's offense, death reigned by one, that is Adam, much more, they which receive abundance of grace, listen to this, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Shall do what? Reign. Reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Go back to 17. This is the invitation for us. You can be born a royal. You can be born a royal. But if you feel the royal responsibilities are too much and that you don't want to be in the public domain and be always your life is always being scrutinized, you can abandon royal duties and move to Canada with your wife. If you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you can be born a royal, but you don't have to lead you can choose to be an ordinary person with no special rights. And I'm saying that this verse is telling us your destiny, your calling, your faith is your life. Calling forth about the life of Christ, the life that Christ has called us to, is to, you shall read in life not by your qualification. Qualifications are good. Like my mom used to say, qualificate. You have to have <laughs> qualificate. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Or maybe by natural gifts that a person may have. A person may have natural gifts. One natural gift, for instance, is the ability to talk. Another natural gift is, is that there is something about you that people like you. It's like you, you, you attract people. You are like a magnet. That is a natural gift some people have. Do you see? Some people, the natural gift they have is beauty. They have a certain beauty. And that because of that beauty, everywhere they go, you know, um, people are always attracted to them. I was listening the other day. Uh, they were doing a, a show about a first lady, former first lady, um, Jackie, Jackie Kennedy. Mm -hmm. And there was one time that... Um, the JFK went to have a summit, superpower summit with the Russian premier. His name was Khrushchev. I remember very well when I was growing up, my dad had a book called Khrushchev. The title was Khrushchev, the killer in the Kremlin. Mm -hmm. So when I heard Khrushchev on TV, I said, wow, this Khrushchev, Russian premier, he was a shrewd, experienced politician, 
of uh, Soviet Union. And this young senator, you know, has now become president and he's going to meet him. And everybody was measuring and engaging. How is he going to perform when he meets the Russian premier? Because some of these guys, they are very shrewd and know how to manipulate. And the first meeting with Khrushchev, um, you know, you know how Canada is very smooth, but the public apparently didn't seem to, it's like Khrushchev seemed to be having the upper hand in terms of the, the, you know, the conversation and negotiations. And then they went to dinner. And when they went to dinner, Jackie was sitting next to Khrushchev. And the story goes that Khrushchev was so much taken by Jackie's, I don't know whether it's her beauty or her personality or whatever. Charm. Charm, that's the word, charm. Yeah. So, so from that moment, a certain dynamic started like the influence of her presence yeah. caused Khrushchev to kind of tone down and, 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 and it actually helped, helped um, what do you call it, uh, uh, Kennedy in the, in, the, in, the, in the whole, the tension, the tension was taken away. So I'm talking about natural gifts. It can be beauty, it can be um, the tone of your voice. Some people, that's the, the way the voice is, that alone, you know. Like I have a friend, his voice alone, his voice alone, girls, Guess we're always attracted to him. Uh, I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, there's something about his voice that made that, that that made people want to, you know, girls were always attracted to him. And 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 and, and I, I know of a friend, a, a, a lady friend, who fell in love with somebody whom she had not seen because of because of uh, the person's voice. Do you get it? <laughs> the person. I think somebody gave the, the number and then, you know, she, she she talked to the person and the person's voice is, is, a, is a, I mean, I was like a, a good friend, like a type of confidant or something. It's a, it's a, this guy, I, I, I can't wait to meet this guy. I can't wait to meet this guy because he said his, vo his voice, his voice, he's so, he's so scintillating, so, 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 so touching. I said, wow. Until one day I was in my room and I got the phone call. And the phone call came from my friend, my lady friend. <laughs> and she was crying. <laughs> why is she crying? She said, the, the way the thing is, I cannot tell you. I said, why has somebody died? She was crying over the phone. I was the shepherd. Do you get it? I was the shepherd. I was her shepherd. Because she has been telling me about this sweet, nice voice. that she, she Somebody she hasn't met. But when the guy talks to he said he said when I listen to him, it's like every problem goes away. It's like uh, I relax. What a voice. It's, it's a gift. It's a gift to have. A soothing, a soothing voice that can settle people's anxieties and fears. I pray that God gives me this voice. Amen. <laughs> but in this in this conversation, I was a, a hearer. I was hearing it from, a, from, from from my friend. And so she was she was crying on that day on the phone. And we were all students on campus, you know? And she said, I cannot tell you what has happened. And I began to be, my heart began to, you know, my heart began to, to pant. I was wondering, I was dreading the West, you know? But I know that there was no relative of her in that town. So has somebody died? She said, I, can't, I cannot tell you. And so then 
I had to run from my apartment to where she lived. Do you get it? I said, good shepherd. So I got there and she had managed to wipe the tears from her eyes. And then, and then, and then I sat down and I said, what is the problem? She said, do you remember the guy whose voice is, is so nice that I fall in love with him? By the way, he, she had fallen in love with his voice because she hadn't met him. But she, she said, yeah, I remember, of course. Why? Has he arrived? He said, no. She said, no. She sent me his picture. <laughs> he sent me his picture and the picture, he's ugly. <laughs> when I saw the picture, because you see, here's the thing, she was looking forward to the one day he's going to arrive uh, in town and you know something can develop out of the initial friendship but when the picture came it shattered <laughs> all her dreams because she said that this is a, this guy is ugly that is what the crime was for and not because somebody had died but the, the brother is ugly are you, are you are you following what i'm saying somebody's voice has taken somebody through a roller coaster it's a gift Roller coaster emotion high until the picture came. So as a good shepherd, I said, you know what? Give me the picture. Let me see. Because it was like a, a true email or true whatever. Let me see. The man needs to be ugly and fearful. <laughs> so I looked at the picture. Look, my dear friend, I won't lie to you. The brother was not bad. The brother was not bad at all. Oh, okay. Okay. It was not bad. Okay. I mean, he was not like there's a Washington look, or he was not like you know. I mean, I don't know who is your 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 idea of a, a handsome look, man. He was not like that, but he was not ugly the way the sister was crying. To me, the guy was okay. I mean, he was ugly. By the time I was leaving, the sister was still not convinced. Do you know why? Because the the her, her image of the voice. Yeah. The, her, her, the, her image of the person based on the beautiful voice he, she was associating her, how he would look to this prince charming uh, com, uh, complete handsome hunk yeah. with no flaw yeah. do you get it <laughs> these are all natural gifts in fact I, I mean I finished school before the guy came so I never met him in person I finished school before the guy came so um, long story short, I mean, there was no relationship between the two of them. But the point, <laughs> the point is that when it says the free gift, and it says the grace, the gift of righteousness, and you shall reign in life, not by a natural gift, but there is a reigning in life that your faith in Christ should bring you. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about when I said that what uh, the ideal economic model. This is the standard. We need to measure ourselves by that. We need to reign in life. Every area of life, there's a reigning we have been called to. By who? Not by your voice. Not by your handsomeness. Not by your education. All oh, these are great. These are bonus. These are extras. But you reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Yeah. This is the invitation. This is the calling. That God is calling us that, look, let us not be spiritually slothful, slothful or lazy. Let's challenge ourselves. Last week I said, let's find time to reflect upon our lives. Well, there is a reflection upon our lives 
that can also land you in depression. If you don't listen to the whole story. If you don't listen to the whole story of the, of the, of the story of your life. If you don't listen to the whole story of God's agenda, you can actually be depressed when you think too much about yourself. When you, so, so I'm not taking back what I said last week, that we should take time off to reflect upon our life. But I'm saying that we need to reflect the full picture, that we don't just dwell on our sins. Because it said, by one man's offense, death win by one. Much more, much more, much more. There is something more. Abundance of grace is one thing God is giving to us. And the gift of righteousness, why is this important? You see, if we would just progress in it, if we would just, if we would just always be thinking about our weakness, and if we are just going to be thinking about our weakness and our sin, and we make that the major part of our lives. See, we should confess our sins every day. But if we constantly walk in sin consciousness, instead of righteousness consciousness, and instead the gift of righteousness, because you cannot have righteousness by yourself. In fact, God is such a, a high standard grader. In fact, he, his standards are much higher than my professor that I spoke to you about last week, mm. who in whose class it was difficult to make an A. God's standard is even way higher because God's standard is that to make an A, you, you must make a hundred. You must get a perfect score. Do you get it? Yeah. yeah. And the qualification to enter is only people with A. We don't give A minus. We don't give A plus. Just A. And the qualification to enter is you need to make a hundred. How many people in the class that you went to made a hundred? Very few. So God, knowing that none of us have uh, have the capacity to make a hundred, He does not lower the standard. God does not lower the standard. He still requires the standard of righteousness. But you know what God did? God said, "You know what? I'm going to do something special for you." Like they do, they do at KJT and Kumasi. When they want to, <laughs> they will say, okay, that thing is $5, but I'll, because it is you, I will sell it to you for $3. Sometimes they are actually cheating you. The actual price is $1. But God is not like that. The Bible says God is not a man that he will lie. Amen. So God said, you know what? The standard is 100. I'm not going to lower the standard. What I can do for you is that I will take the grade that Christ Jesus made. Jesus Christ made 100%. I'll take his grade and I'm going to copy it. And I'm going to put it in this special machine, which will make your transcript look exactly original. So that's not like Christ's transcript has been copied for you. So that you come out with an A with a hundred and you come out rejoicing, thinking you are the only one who made an A. You look to your left. Another person is also rejoicing. Everybody made an A in the class. Why? Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he that knew no sin, he made him to be sin for us so that we, you and I, might become the righteousness of God in him. So when the apostles speak of Romans 5, 517, that the gift of righteousness is important because when you don't feel that you are righteous, when you don't walk in the consciousness of the forgiveness of God, you don't walk in the consciousness that you are free from sin, that God is not looking at you as a sinner, but that God is looking at you as his son, Jesus Christ. He has copied the grade of Christ and put it on your forehead. As you are walking around, 
God looks at you like you are Christ. Like he, he, he will accord you the same, the same benefits that he would accord to his son Christ. And because of that, this is where our confidence comes from, my dear friend. Your ability to reign in life is going to be hampered if you are always overwhelmed by sins. Somebody said, well, then, you know, does that mean that, you know, now Christ has covered us, so now we, we just we live anyhow? No. We reigning in life, including reigning over sin. Because now you have been called as a prince along with Christ. His life in you will give you the power over sin. Whereas before you couldn't say no, now you can say no because his life is in you. Hallelujah. Amen. And you need to learn to tap into it. Let's look at... Um, Let's look at maybe we should we should continue on the um, Romans five. Let's go to up to verse twenty. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. You see, the second half of the equation is where we don't always we don't dwell there enough. The righteousness of the one free gift, we need to dwell there. That you need to say, I'm righteous. You need to say that God has forgiven me. And then you are free to go and build. You are free. You are not drawn back by sins. You are not drawn by, by guilt. Guilt has a way of slowing you down. When you always feel that you are, you are down, you can't go forward. But when you believe in the forgiveness that Christ gave, it actually gives you not only a free conscience, it also gives you power over sin. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Amen. You see the contrast the apostle is making. Moreover, the law entered that that offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where sin did what? Abounded. Grace did much more abound. So regardless of where you are in your Christian life, if you are a young Christian and you are struggling, when I say young, I mean like spiritually young, and you are struggling with some sins, don't give up. Keep pressing on. Keep believing God that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Keep believing it. And before you know it, the thing that attracts you so much, that makes you fall, it will no longer be attractive because the, uh, 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 the spirit of life in Christ in you will overpower the weakness in your flesh. But keep on. If you've been in the Lord for a long time, the same scripture tells you that, look, there's no such, there's no such thing as, as for me, this is the way I am. I'm going to be like this forever. No. Then you have, we, you have, now, we have now accepted a low-grade standard. We need to bring ourselves to the standard of God. Now, as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Who is this scripture for? It's to the believer. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Now I want us to go to the book of Ephesians. I'm talking about your faith is your life. And I'm saying your faith is actually your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Outside of Christ, you have no faith. If you take Christ out, your whole Christian life will be one of striving to be something. And then it is full of drudgery. It becomes hard. But if you would just learn to talk to God and believe that Jesus is in you, if you would just learn, because if God is everywhere, right? How many believe God is everywhere? 
we believe God is everywhere. Yeah. If God is everywhere, then you would as well believe that he's with you. Why is it easier to believe in God being with you and he's your help? Why is it easier to believe the opposite than to believe that God is with you? When you believe that God is everywhere, that everywhere, you are part of the everywhere. So then let's shift. It's, it, it takes a shift in your thinking and a shift in your heart affections to actually acknowledge that God is not hanging out in the sky somewhere. The God that we read about and believe in, that God has what? Made his abode in you. That is how important you are. That is how important. If there was only one person on the earth, and that is you, Christ Jesus would have still have come to die. And these are the truth the devil doesn't want us to talk about because, because it scares, I was going to say scare the hell out of him, but maybe I can say it because that's where he, the devil belongs. Scare the hell out of him by <laughs> amen. amen. You see, amen. once we begin to unveil the truth of God's word, it empowers God's people. When the God's people are empowered with what we know is our God giving right. Look, what I'm talking about, go back and read Romans chapter 5. Read it line by line. Read from, even if you don't can't read the whole thing, read from verse uh, 12 to verse 23. Okay? And begin to gain mastery of what is already available that Christ purchased for you. Now, let's go to Ephesians, and I'm going to challenge you with, with a couple of verses there. Okay. Ephesians chapter 1. And from verse 15. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, that's the apostle praying for the believers, making mention of you in my prayers. Okay. Listen to this. This is the substance of the prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. All that we've been teaching, take it to prayer. That God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in it. Because the secret to our ability to live a certain type of victorious life lies in tapping into the resources that Christ already preaches for us. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Listen to this. It's describing something that's available to the believer. The exceeding greatness of his power. Where, where is it? Where is the exceeding greatness of his power? Toward us or to us what? Who believe? Are you seeing something? We are talking about faith. We are talking about the exceeding greatness of God's power. God's power is all over, just like electricity. Do you know how much power there is in the poles? How many megawatts floating around? But thank God it's not out in the open. If it was out in the open, what is going to happen? A lot of people are going to die. A lot of, it's going to electrocute a lot of people. Hallelujah. Amen. Is that not so? Yeah. The power is passing through the electric grid and it is scaled down 
to a level of power that can come to your house. Hallelujah. Amen. But what happens is that Amen. the wires carrying the power are a conductor of the power. The power does not operate in a vacuum. Amen. So if we are talking about the exceeding greatness of God's power, it is toward us who believe. Those who believe Amen. are the ones who are the conductors of the great power of God. So, so this scripture is challenging us again to a higher life. A life of actually becoming among those to be counted among those who believe so that we can become channelers of the power of God. Not a simple power, a seeding greatness, a seeding greatness of his power according to, to the working of his mighty power. Next verse. According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So verse 20 explains the measure of the power. Okay. The measure of the power or the, an example or an illustration of the power of God is when he raised Christ from the dead. That, that was such, it took, it had to take so much power to raise Christ from the dead. Raising Christ from the dead is not the same as raising someone who has been buried because he had gone into the regions of the dead, into the land where the, the demonic uh, host dwelt, that he's carrying the sin Therefore, he's like a condemned one who deserves to be there. But God showed Satan that day that I am most. And Christ was raised from the dead. Out of that deadness of the womb of hell, Christ came out. And that power which raised Christ from the dead is what the scripture is saying. That same power is available to us world who believe. Are we showing and displaying this power every day? We are not. We are not. But the potential is there. And the deficit is not on God's part. The deficit is on our part. We have not worked ourselves into believing. We have not meditated on it. We have not even seen that as a standard to live by. But today, things are changing. Today, we are learning. This is God's standard. That he, the seeding greatness of his power is toward us who believe. Let's jump to Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Now, unto him, that is unto God, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or take, according to the power that works in the heavens. Do you see that in the Bible? Yeah. Unto him no. that is able to do exceedingly no. abundantly above all that we ask or we ask or take, according to the power that works in the heavens out somewhere. No. According to the power that works where? In us. In us. In us. My dear friend, this is where we have we have we have we are falling short. This is where we have made a mistake. We we have taught that the working of God's power is like we have made ourselves aloof and taken ourselves out of it. And we have said, oh, if God, if God wants it, it will happen. Or we have detached ourselves from the outworking of God's power. We have detached ourselves from it. And we want God to display his power in a vacuum. Are you following? We are talking about what? We are talking about your faith is your life. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of what? The one Christ who died, who loved me and gave himself for me. That one Christ I've placed my faith in 
He wants a union. He wants an ongoing participation and engagement. When we are sharing the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion, it's like, it's like, it's like a joint venture. You and, I, you and God are in a joint venture. Your life ought not to be estranged and detached from God. Don't detach yourself. Don't just sit there and say, if God wants to do something, he's going to do it. No. God's, the display of God's power he can do exceedingly and abundantly. Above all, we can ask or think. How far is he going to go according to the power that works in us? That means that you are important. Your faith is important. You interface with the power of God. You are an agent of God's power. You are, you are a channel through whom God wants to act. God is not going to do it without you. If God was to display his power without his children, without the believers being joined with him, it will be very chaotic. It will be like electric power flowing through the streets without the poles, without the wires, but it's everywhere. Everything is going to burn. But God has slowed down his power and he wants to use you. He wants you to be what? According to the power that worketh in us, the power of God works in us and through us. This union, this, this thing is what our calling is for. And we are going to read one scripture. First Corinthians chapter 15. And it's going to open something to you as to what Christ is in us. And then we are going to end. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45. This passage is about the resurrection. This passage is about the resurrection. So first Corinthians 15 verse number 45 okay and so it is written listen to this the first man adam was made what a living soul the first man adam was made a living soul the last adam was made what a quickening spirit or another translation said a life-giving spirit so this is like Romans is drawing the contrast. The first Adam was just made a living soul. The last Adam is an improvement over the, 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 the first Adam. The improvement is that he's not just one living soul. He has become a quickening spirit. He has become a spirit that is able to bring life to many. Hallelujah. Amen. The first Amen. Adam was a living soul, a mere living soul. But the last Adam, who is the last Adam? Christ. Has been made a quickening spirit. The ability of your life to come alive comes from the life, the last Adam. Let's add verse number 49. And as listen to this, this then goes back to this then goes back to what I said at the beginning. What the um my, uh, my teacher said that you look at the ideal economic water uh, model. And you compare the real world uh, situation, then you find a difference. As we have born the image of the earthly, who is the earthly? Adam, the first Adam. Adam. By our natural birth and by our own lifestyle before Christ, we have born the image of the earthly. We shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Who is Christ? 
Your destiny is to bear the image of Christ. If we have born the image of Adam, the first Adam, your destiny is also to bear the image of the last Adam Christ. Verse 45 says that the last Adam is what? A quickening spirit, a life-giving spirit. Your life that you live now, you live by the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. I pray that the Holy Spirit will draw you into the high ladder of God, whereby you will not settle until you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. God bless you and let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the invitation to come higher in the spiritual life, in our faith journey. Let your Holy Spirit spare us on. May we not be depressed. May we not be discouraged or disillusioned. May we not feel condemned, but rather make this message be an encouragement and something that stirs us up. Give us the discipline and the wisdom and the grace to go back to the scriptures, to meditate on it just like the Christians in Berea, so that it will become ours. Not just a preacher's words, but it becomes your words.